You ever heard of that show, Dirty Jobs? There's this guy, Mike Rowe, and I guess he figured out that we don't celebrate work enough in this country, I guess. And so anyway, he, he goes around and he gets a crew to follow him and he goes to do these just difficult dirty jobs that nobody really wants to do. And, and so the crew, it kind of films him learning how to do the jobs. They train him and then he goes out and he just does these dirty jobs. They're the kind of jobs that deal with our garbage, the kind of jobs that deal with our sewage. They're the kind of jobs where people help a cow become a hamburger. And you kind of know that those jobs exist. You know, you, you know that that chicken just doesn't get into the cellophane by itself. But to see it happen, you know, it's just not many people want to do that every single day with their lives. And so it, it just, they're, they're dirty jobs. But if nobody stepped up to do those dirty jobs, if nobody did those things, our culture, the way we live, would just kind of fall apart and crumble because we need people who would do those dirty jobs. And really, if you think about it, we're a dirty people. I mean, you go through and you look at all that. I mean, we're a dirty people. Who would want to save a lot like us, just an unclean bunch like us? Paul said as much, really. He, he said, you know, for a righteous man, someone rarely might die. But come on, for an unrighteous person, for an unclean, dirty person, who would want to give their life for that? And you know, there was only one who was qualified to do it. And this Christmas season, we get to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ became man to save a dirty people like us, something no one else was qualified to do. So we get to look at the Christmas story again this year. Let's look. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. And as we study the Christmas story again this year, the true story of God becoming man, we'll see that this story is for us. It's for all of us. And it's, it's a story that never gets old. It's a story that just captures our hearts and you never tire of hearing about that baby in a manger who was born over 2,000 years ago. It's a story worth sharing. And this Christmas season, we're going to be challenged just to share the story, to go tell it. That's the title of our series, to go tell it everywhere. So let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And it says, and in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, 
They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The angels told the shepherds, shepherds, I mean, of all people, shepherds, who would think to invite shepherds to such a holy, such a magnificent event? Surely none of us would want shepherds at our baby's birth. Uh, this, is, this is just incredible. Shepherds. You know, we understand if you were to flip back into Luke chapter 1 and look at the Christmas story as it began there with Zechariah, and, and you understand that him being invited into the Christmas story I mean, he was a priest. He was of the bloodline of Aaron. He was a faithful man. He, him and his wife, Elizabeth, they had been praying that God would come. They had been praying for a long time that God would bless them with a child. They, they were faithful people. And now at long last, God had sent the, the angel Gabriel to tell Zechariah that, that he was going to have a son. And, and Zechariah, this great man of faith, he responded, by saying, you got to prove it to me. And the angel Gabriel said, I am the angel of the Lord. I stand in the presence of God. And here you are questioning what God has said. And so he muted Zacharias. He wasn't able to talk. Now, there could be no greater punishment for a preacher, okay? I mean, he can't talk. This is the most exciting news he's ever heard. And he can't even tell anybody about it. But he was a faithful man. We can understand his inclusion into the Christmas story. We can even under, understand Mary's inclusion uh, to some degree. I mean, she was a faithful young woman, a woman who had walked with God and loved God and served God. And so she's included to be the mother of this Christ child, the Messiah. And on some level, we can understand her inclusion. It somewhat makes sense to us. Even Joseph, the, the Bible tells us that Joseph was a righteous man, and so his inclusion can make some sense to us. We see his righteousness being played out in the Christmas story. How Even when he heard that Mary was pregnant, he had in mind to divorce her and send her away quietly, not causing public shame or ridicule on her. I mean, his righteousness, he was a man of character, and we can understand on some level that they would be invited into this Christmas story. I mean, these were people who had prayed and who had sought after God. This, these were faithful people. In our corrupted logic, we can make sense that they would be invited. We might even say that on some level, they were the most deserving people to be in the Christmas story. This makes some sense to us. But Luke chapter 2, it doesn't make any sense at all. Make no mistake, you and I, we would not have invited shepherds to anything if we were living back then. In, in fact, in those days, if we showed up to something and shepherds were there, I mean, I can imagine myself, if I showed up to something and there was a shepherd there, I might say to my wife, hey, let's just stay over here. We don't want to go over there. You know, those are unclean people. They, they, they talk, they have foul language. They don't talk nice. They smell bad. We, we want to stay away from them. We don't want, maybe we should just leave this party altogether, you know, if those kind of people are going to be here. This might not be the type of party that we want to attend. 
You know, we sometimes have this idea at Christmas time, these nice, upstanding, faithful men, these shepherds in their robes and their nice staves, and they're, they're just kind of looking out, faithfully watching the sheep, and oh, it's so nice, so beautiful that they would be at this nativity scene. Make no mistake about it, if you and I were living in the first century and we had a nativity scene in our house, the, the shepherds would not have been included. We, we would have left them out of the scene all together. They would not have been standing behind Mary and Joseph in awe. We wouldn't want shepherds there. There's a couple reasons for this. First, their job. I mean, they had to spend a lot of time just outside dealing with sheep. And, you know, if you know sheep at all, if you've ever been to a petting zoo, you, you know that sheep are just smelly, stinky animals. And they're not very smart animals. Sheep are very disappointing, you know. You've never met someone who's trained a sheep to do anything, right? I mean, sheep can't learn to do anything. They're dumb animals. And so, and they smell bad and they're stinky. The only thing sheep may be good for is their, their wool. But even then, you want to be as far away from the sheep as possible. That wool's got to be processed over and over. It, it takes a long time to get a wool coat. It doesn't just come off the sheep and then here you go. Coat, no, no, that's not how it works with the sheep. You, you got to get it a long way away. And these guys, they spend their whole lives with sheep. Dirty, stinky, disgusting animals. They live outside with these smelly animals. These guys didn't smell good either. They stunk. They smelled bad. They lived outside with these animals. They were dirty. So dirty, in fact, this brings us to the second reason that may be even more important than reason number two, why we would want to keep our distance from the shepherds. And that is these, these men were considered unclean. That they were not allowed to participate in the religious holidays, all, all the feasts, everything that marked you as a faithful, God-fearing, God-loving, God-following person, they were not allowed to participate in. They were excluded from entering the temple. So everyone looked down upon these men as unbelievers. You, you didn't want anything to do with shepherds. They were unclean, dirty. You kept your distance from these kind of men. And they were transient by nature. This is the third reason. They, they had to move sheep around from place to place because sheep, they eat grass down to the dirt. The sheep, they leave nothing behind. So you have to rotate them, move them from place to place or else they would just ruin the pasture. And so as the shepherds moved the sheep from place to place, the shepherds had this idea that whatever place they went to, now everything in that area, now it belonged to them. So the shepherds, they had this reputation for being thieves and liars, and it was a reputation well-deserved. This, this was the qualities of these men oftentimes. They were thieves. They were liars, so much so that their testimony was not valid in the court of law. If you were in trouble and you, the only person you saw witness what had happened to you when you were in court and your only witness was a shepherd, you're out of luck. His testimony meant nothing. He was untrustworthy. He was a liar. You couldn't take what he said seriously. He could not testify on your behalf. And even more than that, you wouldn't even want him to. And so now nobody would believe a shepherd. 
And, and these are the people, the, these dirty people, these ceremonially unclean people, people who had lived dirty lives, they did dirty things. We wouldn't want these people to stand up for us. We wouldn't want these people near us. They certainly would not be receiving a birth announcement from us. I mean, from our perspective, shepherds, they don't belong in the Christmas story. They are much too dirty for this holy Christ child, this God becoming man. They should be kept distant from this. And yet, God sent this incredible birth announcement to shepherds. God invited shepherds to be his first evangelist. He invited shepherds. You know, their testimony wasn't even credible. No one would even believe them. No one would even listen to them. No one would even take them seriously. They had no theological training. They were disconnected from all the religious ceremonies. Many of them had maybe never even been into the temple before. They had no training for this. Why would God invite shepherds? I want to step back into the Christmas story with you a little bit this morning. These shepherds, many believe that they lived in an encampment outside of Bethlehem. They were on the fringe of Jewish society. They were, they were a group of really ignorant men. And they were in charge, though, of this special flock of sheep. Many believe that these particular shepherds were in charge of the sheep who were set aside for sacrifices. And to qualify to be a sheep in order to be set aside for this sacrifice, a suitable sacrifice, these sheep had to be perfect, without spot, without blemish, no broken bones, no scars. If they had ever fallen into a pit, if they had ever had an encounter with some kind of predator uh, and, and the mark was left... They would not qualify. They would be disqualified. The only thing that that sheep would now be good for was its wool or piece of leather or food. Uh, not nearly as valuable or as profitable as being sacrificial sheep. So these sheep were important sheep. These were sheep that were watched by the shepherds all day and all night so that their value could be protected and that they could be these worthy sacrifices Sacrifices that the shepherds themselves would never be allowed to participate in because they were much too dirty to go to the temple and to offer sacrifices themselves. But now, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world, he is to be born and his announcement is given to the excluded. His announcement is given to the dirty to the untrustworthy. God sends this perfect sacrifice, but he doesn't send it to the temple. He sends it to a manger so that those who were too dirty for the temple could draw near. You know, the people that society looks at and says, hey, they, they do the dirty work, but you know, their names really aren't worth knowing. These people are invited and you can imagine the scene with me that they're out there tending their, flo their flocks at night. They have a campfire going. Some of the shepherds were probably ready to turn in for the night and go to sleep. And then an angel shows up and says, don't be afraid. And you know in the Bible, whenever you read the Bible and the angel shows up and says, don't be afraid, it's always too late. 
know, at that moment, you're already afraid, okay? You're afraid. An angel shows up and says, don't be afraid, and it's too late. The shepherds, they've seen a lot of things in their life, but they've never seen anything like this, and they're panicked, and if you think about it for a moment, you all know why, because if you've ever been invited to the principal's office, and you get a note, hey, the principal would like to see you, you don't assume that, hey, you know, the principal probably found out about what a wonderful student I am, and she just wants to congratulate me. You know, if your boss ever, ever says, hey, I'd like to see you in my office in a couple minutes, you, you know, you panic for a moment. You think, well, did I miss something? Is there something I need to do? What did I do wrong? We panic. And now imagine for a moment that an angel of the Lord shows up. And says, hey, God wants to have a word with you. See, we panic because we know ourselves. Because we know those little compromises that we've made. We know those people who we were supposed to share the gospel with, but we remained silent. We know those opportunities to serve where we backed off and just didn't do it. We, we know our unfaithfulness. We know our dirtiness. We're all too familiar with it. And surely, if we know this, God must be disappointed in us too. See, we, we can believe that, and, and here's the shepherds, and they haven't done anything that you would expect faithful God followers to do. They've probably never been to the temple before, never offered a sacrifice before. These were not holy men at all. These were dirty men who lived dirty lives, said dirty things, did dirty Things. They know their shortcomings all too well. They're all too familiar with the fact that they aren't good enough. Society has told them that for years. And now God wants a word. You can just imagine their fear. And when the angel shows up and says, don't be afraid, it's too late. They're panicked because they already are. And by the way, it wasn't just one angel. An entire host of angels shows up. Did you catch that? The heavenly host, this multitude. And we can try to figure out how much the heavenly host is, and sometimes we like to do that. Was it more than 100? Was it more than 1,000? I don't know, but it was enough for the shepherds to know that they are encompassed by angels, by this message. And then they heard the message, and the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. A Savior has been born for you. Did you catch that? A savior has been born for you. Now, if you're a shepherd, nothing has ever been for you before. Everything society has to offer is always for other people. It's never for you. The sacrifices, oh, that's for the faithful people. That's not for you. Temple worship, that's for all the faithful people. That's not for you. You want to enjoy with the fellowship of, of believers? Well, that's for the faithful people. That's not for you. And now the Christ child, the Messiah is here, and he's here for you. It's never been that way for a shepherd before. And, you know, we're all like shepherds. We're all dirty, unclean people in desperate need of saving. And the good news that the angel brought to the shepherds is true for all of us. He says it's for you. It's for all people. It's for all of us. And we're all in desperate need of saving. The shepherds knew they were. And they could hardly believe their ears that the Savior has come. And God would send angels to proclaim this message to us. Can you imagine? Imagine. 
to us, the excluded people. And as if anticipating the question that the shepherds would ask, the angel then says, hey, you're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I know that you're going to want to see him. I know that you're going to want to go see this Christ child. Let me tell you where you can find him. This is the sign. This is where you'll see him. And then all the angels join together and they shout glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with, them, with those he is pleased. And those voices, I imagine they would have echoed over that dark, cool hillside. Those beautiful, angelic voices. And then the angels leave and the shepherds, they dart off to see this baby. People love to see babies, you know. People love to see babies. You can draw near a baby. My wife, Stephanie, she just went this last week to California because her sister just had a baby. And you want to see a baby. There's something about a baby that causes people to draw near. I remember when my kids were little and, and strangers would draw near. You know this. If you've had kids, strange people you don't know, they will come near because they just want to get a look at the baby. They want to see the baby's eyes open. They want to hear the little sounds the babies make. They want to touch the baby's little hands, the baby's little feet. Even strangers want to see babies. It's something about the beauty and the humility of a baby that will bring people near. It's still true today. People who don't believe the Bible, people who don't believe in God, the one time of year where people will come to church more than any other, studies say, is Christmas time. Because there's something approachable about a baby. You know, if Jesus would have come as a mighty king, as a, as a strong warrior, the, the shepherds might have been tempted to watch from a distance, to just kind of stay over at the hill and to kind of keep their eyes on the horizon. But, but the universal response to babies is, I can draw near to a baby. I can get close to a baby. No one is afraid of a baby. So God and his Humility came as a baby, a real life, flesh and blood, human baby. He became man for us. And the shepherds, they, they rush out and they tell everybody. These men, they had no training, right? I mean, they, they probably never been to temple before, or if they had, it's been a long time. But now these shepherds, they become the preachers. They become the evangelists. Been involved in ministry for some time now. And, and one uh, common thing that people will ask is, hey, Steve, can you do some training on evangelism? Just how to share the gospel. Can you do training on that? And it's profitable training and it's good training. And I've trained a lot and I think it's super useful and helpful. But one thing I've also learned is that those who have drawn near to Jesus, those who are on fire for Jesus, those who are in awe and overwhelmed by Jesus, they don't really need a whole lot of training because they're on fire and people love people who are on fire. There's something about just passion that draws people near. And they want to hear, so what is this that has changed your life? It's not a matter of being an extrovert or introvert. Personality matters aside, all that. When you have encountered Jesus and this passion takes over, it just comes out. It's like a young woman who gets engaged. She suddenly becomes left-handed. You know, everything she does is with her left hand. 
You don't have to teach her to do that. She just knows that the left hand goes out. You get a ring on the finger and the hand goes like this. No training is needed. She just wants people to notice, hey, I've got a man. I'm engaged. The day is coming. Good news can't be kept, you know. Good news has a way of coming out. I'm friends with an older guy, and he used to tell me all the time, hey, Steve, I don't text. Okay, you have to call me. Don't text me. I don't, I don't text. you got to call me. And then one day I'm having lunch with him, and, and during lunchtime I see him pull out his phone, and he's doing this. I said, hey, are you texting? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm texting. I said, how come you're not on the phone? How come you're not calling? I said, well, my grandson doesn't talk on the phone, but he texts. (laughs) When your grandkids don't talk on the phone, but they text, you take up texting. Because good news just has to get out. Because you have to be able to communicate. You can't keep it to yourself. And the shepherds, they had the good news. They have no training to speak of, but they can't keep this news to themselves. All these people who would have discredited their testimony before, their testimony who's not worthy for the court of law, they go out and they start telling everybody, and people are in wonder and amazement. Could what these shepherds be telling us, could it possibly be true? They told everyone the promise had been kept, that God is now a baby The Messiah is here. He's come to do the dirty work of saving a broken humanity. Jesus has come to turn the world right side up. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say that when Jesus got a hold of my life, he turned my life upside down. We turned it upside down. He comes in and he turns it right side up. Let me me just kind of show it to you. How, How much do we pay entertainers in our culture? How much do we pay teachers? How many of you would say, you know, if we really want our country, our culture to be more prosperous, just to be a little better, what we really need are more entertainers? How many of you would say what we really could use are more teachers, good teachers, like the teachers we have over at CCA? See, that's what we need, right? But we've got it upside down. In our culture. Not, not just that, not just with the payment though, but you know, we don't esteem people the same way either. You, you don't see people running in line and running up to our, our teachers and saying, hey, can I get your autograph? You, you don't see people running up to our teachers and say, hey, let, let me get a selfie with you real quick. You, you, you don't see that too often. The world is upside down. What is garbage is valued as treasure, and what is treasure is discounted as junk. The world is upside down. We live in a culture with people trying to get more money, trying to get more stuff, trying to get more gold. Jesus says that in heaven, the streets will be paved with it. Gold is not the currency of heaven. Love is. And and that's what's valued in heaven, not gold. Love. And so Jesus, he turns our world right side up, and then he empowers us to live rightly in this world because he gives us what matters most. He gives us what the world can never take away from us. He gives us the ability to love. 
And we can't love by ourselves. We're incapable. He does this for the shepherds. These people whose society is discounted, whose society is excluded, people who the shepherds never would have been comfortable around before, he now gives them the capacity to love and to run out and to share this message. Amazingly, Jesus would call himself the good shepherd. He referred to himself later as the good shepherd, and he is a good shepherd because he laid down his life for his sheep. So see, your, your value is not determined by the opinion of the world. It is determined by the price that Jesus was willing to pay for you, and he was willing to pay his life for you. That's what you're worth. The world can never take that away. It doesn't matter what you say about yourself, what others say about yourself. It matters what Jesus says about you. And he says, you are worth my life. I will give my life for you. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. Jesus says that he will never lose his sheep, that he will never lose you, that he will never forsake you. One of the ways to understand what Jesus is doing in our lives is to understand that Jesus is giving back to us everything that was lost in the fall. You know, in the fall, we lost a relationship with God. Jesus, through Jesus, the relationship with God is restored. We have a way to be with God again through Jesus. In the fall, we lost proper relationships with one another. Jesus has given us the ability to restore that. He's given us the capacity to love each other and how these relations are to look and how to function. He gives us that capacity. He even models it for us. Paul writes in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. He is the example. So that which was lost in the fall can be restored. In the same way, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Parents, don't make it hard for your children to be, to believe that God is a, a faithful father who will love and protect and provide and train. Be a father like that, a father so that children don't find it difficult to believe that you can draw close to God and be near him, that he's a, a loving, protecting, providing, teaching, caring father, a, a father who spends time and who you can come to. Don't make it hard for children to believe that. Don't, don't exasperate them. In the same way, work. You know, work in the, in the fall, one of the results of it is you toil and you sweat and you work so hard. And the Bible says it yields no fruit. You toil and sweat and it seems as if nothing ever changes. And then in Colossians, whatever you do, do as if you are doing it for the Lord. You turn your work into worship. That even your work, even what you do, this is an act of worship. It gives meaning to all parts of life. See, in, in this grand plan of redemption, Jesus says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Things will be restored. Things will be as they are supposed to be. And part of that, he says, I want you to go and to love people. And even to love people who cannot love you back. Love the dirty people, the unclean people, the untrustworthy people, the people who say unkind things, who have unclean language, who do things that you do not approve of. Why? Because Jesus Christ loves us enough to make up for all that. 
See, so often, most of us, we live lives and we have this unspoken contract with people. And the contract is this, I will love you and I will be your friend as long as you love me and you will be my friend. But the moment that you stop loving me, the moment that you're no longer my friend, the, the, the moment that you are rude to me and unkind to me, the moment that you go behind my back and you start uh, just slandering my name, the moment that you do evil things to me and hard things to me, at that moment, I'm going to stop loving you because you don't love me. Jesus says, hey, I have come to restore the way relationships ought to work so that you don't have to live like that anymore. Because I love you so much that my love for you will overflow from within you. That my love for you will will counteract whatever gaps may be missing from those people who do not love you back. You will still be loved perfectly and this perfect love will overflow from within you and you will then be empowered to love them anyway, that the fountain that I provide within you, it will never run dry. This love can be restored. This is the power of the love of God. And it came to shepherds. The dirty, the unclean, the people that you and I would look at and say, I don't want to be around them. I don't want to invite them. I mean, this is my baby. I don't want to invite those people near And God says, come, he's for you. That waiter or waitress, did you catch their name? Your mailman or your bank teller, do you know their name? The guy who collects your garbage, the girl who sits alone in the class, your next door neighbor, do you know their name? God sent his birth announcement to shepherds to remind us that he knows them. And one of the first ways that they will know he knows them is that we know them, that we know their name, and that we care enough like shepherds to go tell it, to go tell the message of this message of good news, of great joy, that a Savior has been born and that he's been given for all people. He's been given for them. Christ the Savior has been born. Heavenly Father, what a great message to go tell. God, that you would send your one and only Son to earth to become man for dirty people, unclean people like us. God, help us never to get over that fact. Because we are so undeserving. And yet, even more than that, you would invite us, an undeserving people, to then go and be your messengers, to go tell it. And so, God, help us go with great zeal, great joy, great passion, and tell the good news of great joy that the Savior has been born and that he has given his life so that we can be made clean, that we can have a relationship with God. This truly is the greatest news the world has ever heard. And help us to proclaim this message well by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.